You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Thanks so much, Alex. Good morning, church. You're all looking amazing this morning. You know, my personality, I, um, I'm not great with small talk or um, necessarily just casual conversation. I really value quality quality time, quality conversations with people, um, depth in conversation. But I noticed, I think almost every single person I talked to this morning talked to me about the weather. And I will take that as people trying to get some survival tips from me because I'm from North Dakota. <laughs> Everyone's trying to, to figure out how to, how to, to survive this winter. Um, so just hit me up afterwards. I, I won't take it um, as shallow talk. I'll take it as deep conversation for your survival. So... Um, come find me afterwards. Hey, as we were, as we were worshiping, as your pastor, I just wanted to, to recognize the stress of this season and pray over us as a church family. Uh, I wanted to recognize that this season can be very stressful for people and for families, given the dynamics of, of any family. Every, every family is weird, right? You think your family is weird? No. Your, your family, every family is weird. Um, that's, the, that's the normal, is uh, every family is quirky and has its dynamics and has its interesting personalities. I come from a large family. And so uh, holidays come, Christmas season especially, comes with all sorts of stressors um, from fam- family dynamics. And I just want to speak over you that you are a carrier of peace. And I would just encourage you to even write that down right now, that I am a carrier of peace. Go ahead, write it down. I am a carrier of peace. Write it in your Bible, write it, write it in your phone. I am a carrier of peace. And going into these next couple weeks, speak that over yourself, that you are a carrier of peace. And that peace that you carry manifests itself in a number of ways. But one, one way in which it manifests is the favor that you have on you because Holy Spirit lives in you. You have a favor on you to change the atmosphere and to bring peace into a room. Another, another way in which that's demonstrated is by the wisdom that God gives you to speak life, life into situations and to speak peace into situations, to de-escalate situations through the words that you speak. So you are a carrier of, carrier of peace this, this holiday season, this Christmas season, and I would just encourage you to cling to that. Um, don't allow people or the enemy or personalities to draw you into the muck and the mire of drama or crisis, you're a carrier of peace. Um, So I'm gonna pray that over us um, right now. Lord, I thank you for this church family and for the peacemakers that you've appointed each one of us to be. In this Christmas season, I'm really believing that there's gonna be divine appointments and testimonies that arise out of family gatherings Uh, Even in light of COVID, where there's all sorts of differing opinions about how to navigate it, I believe that there's going to be windows of opportunity uh, for gospel conversations, life-giving conversations uh, about things that matter the most this Christmas season. Uh, I pray that peace would reign in hearts, that peace would reign in minds for rest, and refilling, rejuvenation this Christmas season. In your precious name, amen. You can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter one this morning. I want us to continue this series called The Arrival of the King that we've been diving into over the last few weeks. As we consider 
The birth of Jesus not so much as the arrival of a baby, but the arrival of a king. And this morning, I want us to consider the implications of the arrival of the king 2,000 years ago upon our lives today because what it emphasized, what it underscored, what it underlined is that this story is not over and that you and I, we live in the midst of God's redemptive story right now. And 2,000 years ago, God coming to earth demonstrated to us, emphasized it, it underscored that God is writing out a purpose and a story on the earth right now. And that hasn't stopped. That's, that still is true today. That God is writing a story right now upon the earth. He's writing out a story, and you and I are a part of it. It's easy, especially when it comes to the Christmas story, to read it detached, to read it as a, a distant spectator, passively just taking note of the, the, the details of the story. But really, the Christmas story should draw us into this reality that God's redemptive story has been, been being written over humanity, and he's not done yet. And in fact, one emphasis that we're going to hit on this morning is the fact that the, 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 the arrival of the king the first time ended with his promise that he'd come again. And so he came once, and he's coming again. And so his story is not over. His purpose on the earth, his purposes on the earth are still being carried out. He's moving on the, on the earth today. He's using people like you and I to bring it about. I was recently having a conversation with my 10-year-old son about science and, and create the creation story and just the, the differing views, the debates that, that, that happen in Christian circles about whether God took millions of years to bring about the earth or whether he spoke it into existence in a moment, you know, young earth versus old earth creationism. We were having these conversations. And um, my son came to his own conclusion about it all, not regarding where he stands on that debate, but I thought it was, it was enlightening to me. He's like, Dad, I can't understand how people would think all this came about by accident. He came to that conclusion himself of which any of us, when we're all by ourselves, the purpose of creation all around us points us to this reality, that there is a creator God that created us on purpose with a purpose. There's a purpose upon your life. You're not a cosmic accident. Nothing around you points to this, this idea that this is all just a cosmic accident. And so it is with you. You are not an accident. You're put here on purpose. You have a purpose upon your life. And the Christmas story, draws us into that reality. That there is a purpose being written over humanity and that purpose has not yet fully been accomplished yet. And specifically, that's emphasized by the fact that the king came once and he promised that he's coming again. I'd say the, be the best movies that you watch, the best books that you read are the ones that you feel fully immersed in. And so I'll tell you, Right now, there's a story being, being written over humanity, and you are, you are a character in that plot line, in that story. And so what that does for a believer, what that does for a follower of Jesus, is it fills you with a hope-filled anticipation of this, this story to be unfolded before your eyes. 
And I want us to see that this morning in the Christmas story. There was this anticipation of hope to come. That as things began to be, uh, began to unfold, began to manifest before their eyes, they, they, they recognized the redemptive story being unfolded before them. And so let's look at Matthew chapter, chapter 1. We haven't read this, this one yet, but let's read this after the encounter that Mary has with an angel. Matthew narrating what's going on. He quotes Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And he says, all of this occurred to fulfill, this is verse 22 and 23. Sorry, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 7. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He says, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So Matthew is saying, Mary, Mary is in the middle of the story. The prophet foretold what is to come. And now this present reality is being put into context of this greater um, prophetic foretelling of what is to come. And so it's easy for us to distantly just observe this 2,000 years removed. But instead, it should be inviting you to, real, to realize that there are prophecies uh, yet fulfilled of God's story for humanity, his purposes on the earth. And so this should be drawing us into it to say, God, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right here in Ames? What are you doing on the earth in 2020? I want to be a part of what you are doing in our day. Move forward just a few verses to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew, do, Matthew does it again. He puts it in context of the prophetic story. He says in verse 5, this is Matthew chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. six it says, in Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. We read this last week. As, as the, the wise men spoke to King Herod about where the Messiah would be born. And they pointed at him to Bethlehem. And, he, and Matthew says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling city, cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So Matthew and the, the, um, the wise men, they, they point King Herod to the prophet Micah, saying this story is unfolding right now before our eyes. The story that was foretold by the prophet Micah, it's happening. So I want us to realize this morning as Jesus followers that God's story is not just history. It is history. It actually happened. But it's his story today. This is his story happening right now. And so these events and these, these people really existed. These events really happened. And it tells us, it convinces us, it underscores and underlines this reality that God is still writing a story over humanity. His arrival immersed us in his story. So just think through the Christmas story. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, they were all attuned to what God was doing. I'm not saying that they could quote chapter and verse every, everything that the prophets said and how this perfectly aligns. That's not what I'm saying. But they had these humble hearts to be attuned to what God was doing in that moment to not miss it. There were some that missed it, but these ones, these main players, they, they caught it, and there were others. And I believe they're an inspiration to us to live attuned to what God is doing. So I say all of that 
I set that stage with the Christmas story to point us to this passage in Hebrews chapter 12. God's not done with us. God is writing a story. Don't allow your faith in Jesus to just be an acknowledgement of historical events, but allow it to draw you into what he's doing on the earth and what he wants to do with your life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, maybe it's a familiar passage to you, but as the writer of Hebrews literally makes this same point, as he points to the, the heroes of the faith of the Old, Old Testament, He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. And so in that that cloud of witnesses, I want you to think of Mary and Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds. They're in that, that cloud of witnesses watching over you right now. They're cheering us on. He says, in light of their testimony of faith, their testimony of being attuned to what God was doing and responding to what Holy Spirit was speaking to them and leading them in. Let us strip off every weight that comes or that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So what happened back then should impact our lives today. It shouldn't just be history. It should be God's story today for us. We should live There should be certain implications. We should live in a certain way in response to this fact that there's this huge crowd of witnesses, these men and women of faith that were attuned to what God was doing. He says, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Or maybe you've heard it. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Right, he's writing a story. And it's not just history. He's writing a story today. He's writing out a purpose for the earth. He's writing out a purpose for your life. So we keep our eyes on that author, the one who's writing the story. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's, right, or God's throne right now. Right now he is. He's sitting on the throne right now. And you see what the writer of Hebrews does here. He brings us from history to present day. These these men and women of faith of old, these heroes of the faith, they caught it. They caught that God was writing a story and they said, I want to be a part of what God is doing. They become an inspiration for us to live in a similar manner. For us to live in a way that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we acknowledge that God is on the throne right now not just in history, not just in the future to come. Literally, he's on the throne right now. And he is the author and the perfecter of your life and your story. Sorry, I'm, I'm so excited this morning. <laughs> this has just been burning in my heart. The Christmas story is a reminder that these witnesses, they came before us and they chose hope. They chose faith. They chose to keep their eyes on Jesus. And so you and I, we can do the same thing. You can choose hope, you can choose faith. You can choose to keep your eyes on Jesus. The one who's writing this story, he's still working out his story in and through us today. And so the part of the story that I really wanna emphasize this morning, which church uh, history, throughout church history, there's been an emphasis during Christmas 
on the king's second coming. This is the Advent season, but we also turn our attention towards the second Advent, towards his second coming. Because it's that reality that, that causes us to remove all excuses from living uh, far removed or detached from what God wants to do. But the reality that he is coming again. He came once and he's coming again. So that's where we're gonna go this morning. I want us to talk about his, the reality that he is coming again. When Jesus was on the earth, he made it clear that his story was not over and when he left, he'd send Holy Spirit and then he'd come again. He would come again. He left us with that promise. And that promise is not void. It's still alive today. It's, a, it's a, the promise of every believer, every follower of Jesus on the earth. I believe sometimes we live as believers, we live like this. Oh, I was watching a video. Okay, I, I think, I feel like we live um, as though like God left us with like very uh, unclear instructions about what is to come. It's like, like he left us in the dark. I, I believe we live like that a lot, a lot of times. I was watching a video just this weekend with my oldest two kids on YouTube and they love to watch these, these top 10 lists of like thrill rides. My kids love these videos. And so they were watching um, a, th a thrill ride countdown list. And, um, and one of the videos was, was of a thrill ride of a ripcord ride, which means like the, the person um, controlling the, the amusement ride, they'll pull a ripcord and then you fall to your demise. You know, you, you, you fall and you, you're into free fall then. And so on video, they had the person riding the ride and the person was like leaning backwards and the person pulling the ripcord pulled a really mean prank on the person and said, hey, I have just really important instructions for you. Please do, do not, well, this one thing, please do not forget to do, and then they pulled the ripcord and they fell backwards into this net. That was the, the ride. It was just a, a bungee cord except you fall into the net. Um, but I feel like sometimes as believers, we live as though Jesus did that. He's like, I have these really important instructions for you and then he's out. And he's like, he left us, he left us hanging, like he left us in the dark without any clear instructions. When in fact, as we read, especially the gospels, they are filled with clear instructions about what is to come. Clear instructions about what is to come. And so we are without excuse. We have been given much. We have a responsibility to respond and live in such a way. Like we live, we live with this responsibility of this prophetic message that Jesus has given us. So this week I, I did a survey of the Gospels to begin to try to summarize, to condense down into, I came, came up with these seven um, ways in which I believe God calls us to live in response to the return of the King. And so we're going to go over those this morning. How should we live in response to the king's return? The fact that God's story is not just history, it's, it's his story today. How should we live? Well, the first is this. Don't let anyone mislead you. Jesus says this a number of times throughout the Gospels. As he's talking about his coming. The, the coming of the Son of Man in this future day. So that hasn't happened yet, guys, okay? That means these, this, these instructions are, are so relevant to us. Like we need, to, we need to go to the top of our list to say we, we want to live in this way. And some of his first instructions is don't let anyone mislead you. Matthew chapter 24. 
He says, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And we've seen that for centuries. Many voices claiming to be divine, claiming to have some new revelation, to have some new truth. Do not be uh, misled by all these voices, by these distractions. Don't be misled by people claiming things that are not backed by scripture. Continue to, to go back to God's word as the final authority over your life. Continue to submit yourself to Holy Spirit because he promises that he'll lead you into all truth. I've just noticed in 2020 people looking for answers. Some that are, they claim to be followers of Jesus and they're, they're looking for answers through Google searches and YouTube searches. I've noticed a whole slew of voices arising trying to claim that they have the key, that they have the answer for the future. Well, I'm telling you, we've, we've been given the answer. So do, do not be misled. Be discerning. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Those voices, those talking heads, they have not figured it out. Instead, Jesus is our guide. So do not let anyone mislead you. Two is this. Don't panic. So Jesus says several times, and I've included the references there in parentheses for you to look up later because I tried to boil it down into these, these seven ways in which we should live. But do not panic. Jesus tells you to not panic. So 2020 has been the year of panic. It's been the year of hysteria. As believers, we, we can go back to these, these uh, calming words of Jesus. Just calm down. Don't panic. Jesus says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. In the original Greek, it means um, do not be troubled, do not be alarmed. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. He's told you that this is going to happen. So don't be alarmed, don't be troubled, don't be panicked. He's giving us this insight. There's going to be stirrings, there's going to be rumblings on the earth. But don't allow those rumblings and those shakings to shake you. You know it's coming. I'll just go back to the, the analogy of, of thrill rides again. But, you know, you, you, you wait in anticipation to ride on a roller coaster or something. You, you, you see the hill, you see the drop. And when you get onto the ride, you're not so much surprised that the drop, I mean, that the drop comes. It's still a thrilling ride because there's this rush of adrenaline that comes through free fall and whatnot. But you're not so much caught off guard, like completely taken, taken by surprise that there was a drop on the roller coaster, Right. You've been watching it, you know it's coming. And so it, is, so it is as believers, like we know it's coming. And so there is still like this rush of emotions, there can be an adrenaline rush of things unfolding before your eyes, but it should not catch us by surprise. We do not need to panic. And I believe some believers, they, they unnecessarily get pulled into thinking that we either have to have a theology that says that there's going to be trouble on the earth or there's going to be revival on the earth, as though they're mutually exclusive. But I would say I don't believe that they, they need to be mutually exclusive. 
I believe light shines brighter in darkness. And I believe Jesus has made it clear that there's gonna be trouble on the earth, there's gonna be shakings, but I also believe that there's going to be moves of God, a mighty move of God. I, I do believe that these latter rains will be greater than the, the former rains. And so I don't believe it's mutually, a mutually exclusive choice. We know that God's kingdom is gonna to continue to move forward, but we also know that there's going to be rebellion and there's going to be people turning away from God, there's going to be heresy and people turning away from truth. So we don't need to panic. Third is this, don't fear people. I probably could have included more than just Luke chapter 12 here, but this is what Luke chapter 12 says. He says, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. He's the one to fear. And I'm speaking this to the, the generation that you know, one of our, the highest values that we have is being liked. Likeability is, is highly prized today. And Jesus says elsewhere that woe to you if everyone speaks well of you. It doesn't mean that being disliked or persecution is our, is our goal, but I do believe it's a litmus test. We shouldn't be afraid of what people think about us, of what people say to us. You know, for the most part in the Western church, we don't have to fear people physically being violent against us, physically persecuting us. Our greatest fear is just what people are gonna think about us, what people are gonna say about us. But we should be different. If Jesus called us to be set apart, to be holy, it means that some people won't like it. I'll tell you, it'll shine brighter in the dark places and many will turn to God because truth radiates all the more beautifully in those places. But there's gonna be some that don't like it. Let's not fear those people. We don't have to be afraid of what people think. Fourth is this, live ready. And this, these two words, they speak, they pierce through all of the, the, predictor, the, the people trying to predict the timing of God's arrival. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Jesus says, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. I can't make it any clearer than that. Anyone that, that says that that Jesus is coming in 2010, well, that, that came and went, guys. Or Y2K, or, or 2012, or 2016, or... People are always pointing to, to some breakthrough, some key, some revelation. But instead, we're called to live in such a way every single day, wide awake, fully alert. Jesus tells this this parable about servants awaiting the arrival of their master. And he says in Luke chapter 12, the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will sit with, sit with them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. So we're just called to live ready every single day. G. Campbell Morgan said that we're not looking for death, we're looking for him. 
You live that way. Ready. A.W. Tozer said, this is the kind of age and hour when the Lord's people should be so alert to the hope and promise of his coming that they should get up every morning, just like a child on Christmas morning, eager and believing that today, it should be today. So we live ready. I hope you're ready today. Fifth is this, serve the least of these. Matthew chapter 25 Verse 45, Jesus says, and he will answer, I tell you the truth, when, you are, when you've refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're refusing to help me. Part of the judgment that will occur in the age to come will be how we love the least of these. And Jesus specific, specifically calls out the poor and the sick, those in prison. Do we have an eye to recognize these ones, these humble ones around us. Not not the famous, not the rich necessarily, but the, the poor and the sick, the disenfranchised, the oppressed. Are we serving them? God has called us to serve them in these last days, to be a testimony of the likeness of Jesus. Was that not what Jesus was famous for? for serving the least of these, being with the sick, being with the poor, being with the sinners. And Jesus calls us to live like that until he returns. Six is this, live aware of the kingdom. Luke chapter 17, some of the Pharisees, they asked Jesus, hey, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. So Jesus is talking about this reality that the story is unfolding right before our eyes. You and I were grafted into the kingdom of God, and yet we're, we're citizens of this kingdom that's awaiting the arrival of a king. So it's this very dynamic of here but not yet. We live as citizens of a kingdom, you know, fully um, with the authority that, that Christ left us with, but we're also awaiting his arrival, the arrival of the king. Then he said to the disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as long as lightning flashes and, and lights uh, and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like in, the, in Noah's days. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. This is that dynamic that we live as, as people in the kingdom here, knowing that the arrival of our king has not yet come. We live attuned, we live aware that we have a, a value structure and an agenda and priorities of a kingdom that's not of this world. We live aware of his kingdom. And his kingdom is in you. His kingdom is here right now this morning as we, as we await the arrival of our king. 
So he, he didn't leave you without, he's, he's not living us. That's why we don't, that's why believers, we don't hunker down in our bunkers, just awaiting the arrival of our king because he's called us to be citizens of his kingdom now, here and now. And his kingdom is here, it's in you, if Holy Spirit is living in you. So seven is this, trust that God will give you the right words. Luke chapter 21, Jesus said this, but this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. This is when people question you for your faith, when they persecute you. He's specifically talking about the day when Christians will stand before kings and authorities and judges, which honestly all over the earth, believers are being persecuted for their faith and they have to stand before kings and chiefs and rulers. And Jesus tells us, don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. This is such a relief for me. I remember one of those standardized tests, this is always etched in my mind, one of those standardized tests that you, that you take uh, going into college, I think it was the ACT. My rhetorical skills were so low. <laughs> I know it's weird for now that I speak or preach, but literally, it's always etched in my mind. I was great at math and science, but rhetorical skills was like, Drew, you're a failure. <laughs> But Jesus tells me here that I, I don't have to worry in advance about what to say, about what, what I'm gonna say. He says, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. That's good news for me. He's gonna give you wisdom. He's gonna give you an instructed tongue. He says, even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. That's not a promise we oftentimes cling to, but. <laughs> Have you ever been in those conversations where it's kind of a, not a level of a debate, but you know, back and forth, and you're kind of, both kind of um, coming up with your side of the argument? For me, how that usually works is like, in the moment, I don't have a whole lot of rebuttal. And then after I walk away from the conversation, I was like, I wish I would have said that. You know, now I, I have the perfect comeback. Well, well, Jesus says in this moment, like these moments where it really counts, where you have to, you have to give account for your faith and, and testify of what Jesus has done in your life, he's gonna give you the words to say. He's gonna give you an instructed tongue. You're not gonna have that, that, that horrible feeling after the fact. He's gonna give you the words to say. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward because we're gonna respond to King Jesus this morning. We could have gone verse by verse through all the chapters and verses, the scores of commands of Jesus about the, the moment in history in which you and I live currently. But instead, I tried to condense it down to those seven responses for us today. Because the king arrived 2,000 years ago and he made this promise that he is returning. He's returning, and so his story is not over yet. His story is taking place right now on the earth. You're a part of it. We're not passive spectators. He's returning again. Vance Havner said the early believers were not looking for something to happen. They were looking for someone to come. That was the expectation of the early believers. So don't, go, don't grow weary in awaiting for his return, but every single day, with eyes wide open, be ready, live ready. If you'd all stand across this place.
I want us to respond to the Lord in two ways. One is for anybody in this place who needs to get their lives right with God. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. For those online, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus as your Savior. The King that came 2,000 years ago, and He's coming again. I don't want anybody to leave this place not ready to meet King Jesus, to see Him coming in glory. But I also believe that there's, there's ways in which God is calling us, if you're a Christ follower in this place, He's calling us to live differently in response to this message that his story is not over that he's writing a story and he's put a purpose upon your life so maybe there's there's areas of of your life that he's been highlighting even this morning in which i'm going to give you an opportunity to respond so if you bow your heads and close your eyes i want us to respond to king jesus if you're part of that first group and you need to get your life right with god this morning I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, not because I'm going to call you out or embarrass you, because I want to know who I'm praying for. But if that's you this morning, you say, Drew, I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus. I want to know Jesus, my personal Lord and Savior. Would you just raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying for? Or if you're online, there's a number appearing on the screen right now. You can text that number and let us know that you are making Jesus your Lord and Savior and we'll follow up with you so we can disciple you. Is there anybody else? Awesome. So if you raise your hand or even if you didn't, you can pray a prayer like this. It's a prayer of salvation from your own heart. It's not so much a combination of words, but it's a posture of your heart. It's Lord Jesus this morning, I recognize you as King, as Lord and as Savior. You are the only answer, God. You're the only answer for the, for the sin that I find myself in. I've made a mess of my life, and I'm turning it all over to you right now. No turning back. I want to follow you from this day forward. I want to I live in response to the story that you're writing. From this day forward, no turning back, Jesus. Amen. Secondly, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to King Jesus this morning and this fact that his story is not over. I believe there's maybe ways in which God has maybe been pricking your heart, convicting you, or, or opening your eyes to the way in which you live day to day. And he's, he's giving you an opportunity to make changes, to, to live differently. So Lord, right now over this church family, pray that we would heed these words spoken these words that you've blessed us with with you've given us this responsibility to pour over these words spoken by king jesus and not to take them flippantly but instead to take them seriously and to live differently in response to these words So I pray for a grace upon every individual here in person and and online to live differently today, to live with eyes wide open in anticipation and expectation. Lord, to not be thrown to and fro by the noise of this world, to not be misled, to not panic, 
Lord, I pray in your mighty name, Jesus. There's individuals right now that need to surrender things to you. I pray that in a fresh way, this would be just a grace, an opportunity for them to do that, to get things right with you. been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.